Let's talk now about uh, the ongoing protests that are happening in Iran. I don't know how closely you've been following it, but they continue these mass protests right across the country. What's been perhaps most um, eye-catching about them is not just the endurance and the amount of people taking place, of course, women at the forefront, uh, but how many young people, kids, high school students, middle school students have been out demanding change here. There feels like there's something uh, different happening in Iran when we've seen, we've seen protests, obviously, all around the world. But this one certainly has uh, has caught a lot of attention over the past week since it began. Federal Justice Minister in this country, David Lametti, says Ottawa will not list Iran's Revolutionary Guard as a terrorist group because that would punish people who are reluctantly drafted into the organization. Pressure has been mounting on the Liberals to fulfill a 2018 motion that MPs passed to list the group as a terrorist organization. You'll know, of course, they were responsible for the downing of Ukrainian International Airlines Flight 752 uh, a thousand days ago now. Many Canadians died on that. Many Canadian citizens and permanent residents uh, of Iran died on that uh, on that plane. Now, Lametti says Canada instead is banning entry for senior members of the group. The path we have chosen is better. Better at targeting the Iranian regime, and better at keeping Canadians safe. We are targeting the most reprehensible members of the IRGC and the Iranian regime. The government says tens of thousands of people will be inadmissible to this country within weeks. Public Safety Minister, meanwhile, Marco Mendocino, says Ottawa will launch a tip line for people to report members of Iran's regime going about their business in Canada. Iranian-Canadian groups have argued that Canada has become a haven for people who, have, who are connected to human rights abuses in Iran. It comes again as those protests continue following the death last month of 22-year-old Masa Amini, arrested by the so-called morality police in Tehran for allegedly violating Iran's strict rules requiring women to cover their hair with a hijab or headscarf. The first protest took place after Ms. Amini's funeral. They then continued. Women and girls have been conspicuous on the front lines, uh, braving repeated crackdowns by security services. Iran's president accusing the United States of engineering the nationwide anti-government protests. Ibrahim Raisi calling it the U.S.'s, quote, failed policy of destabilization. That is evidence of Iran's defiant popular protest only grows, breaking through the regime's internet blackouts. Social media video posts appear to show the increasing involvement of middle school students, girls and boys. Human rights groups alarmed by Iran's admission these young students are being sent to, quote, psychological centers to be, quote, reformed. Jordana Miller, ABC News, Jerusalem. Well, joining us more with more on this now is Elnaz Sarbar. She's a women's rights activist. Uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben. So tell me, I mean, it, for, for those of us who, who sort of watch it go by in the news or watch it go by in newspapers or on social media, it's sometimes hard to figure out just how widespread it is. But this has become a mass movement. It is. It is. And you had a great summary there mentioning the girls, uh, middle school and high school coming out in the streets, joining the students, joining the women and joining everybody else who was in the street. And it's, you know, Iran is on fire in a sense. Um, and in, in that, I want to give you a quick update. Today, we had the security forces uh, going to a school, um, Shahid School in Ardabil, in northwest of Iran, and basically beating some girls, arresting some girls. These are children that they are arresting. And uh, unfortunately, 10 were hospitalized, and out of 10, one has actually died today. So we are 
seeing people killed like Mahsa Amini again in the hands of security forces to prove that they didn't kill her. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I saw, of course, the stories about Nika um, Shakarami and Sarina Esmeladzadeh. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people, I mean, there have become other faces of this protest since uh, the death of Masa Amini as well, unfortunately. Yes, um, the human, the Iran Human Rights actually recorded about 200 people have been killed, including 23 children. I guess with that uh, young woman who died today, that would be 24. But... Um, it's what the government is doing a very brutal crackdown on everybody. And they, it is, it is so sad to see them attacking children in this way, which are in the yeah. front line of this, because, you know, as you mentioned, this is something that Iranian women that they um, deal with every day. You put on a scarf since you're seven years old. So you starting seven, seven years old, you deal with that every day. And it's, um, it's easy to see the discrimination if you're paying attention. And, and I, I'm not surprised that these young uh, girls or women are in the front line of it because they are dealing with it every day. Elnaz, perhaps you could you could shed light on this, because I think sometimes it's hard for people outside of Iran to understand, you know, the ethnic differences, the linguistic differences, the geographical differences within the country. Uh, but mm-hmm. we're seeing groups from all over the country rising up. And, and uh, what, what do you think is motivating high school students, middle school students? That's not something you often see, whether it was the Arab Spring. I mean, there was a lot of young people involved. There are a lot of young people in many of these countries. But uh, it's not often that you see people that young. Um, rise up against, especially against a regime that can be that brutal. Yeah, they are a brave new generation. But I think they they really feel this. Like, I mean, you know, I've I've lived out of Iran at this point for 14 years, but this is something I wanted to change in my life, too. When I was going to school, I hate wearing a scarf. And I've seen videos of, like, seven-year-olds that taking off their scarf. I was like, I look ugly in this. I don't want to wear this every day. So this is um, something every Iranian woman, every Iranian girl experience every day. You know, when you go to school, there is a person at school whose job, whose responsibility is to check the, the girl's clothing and make sure it is proper according to Sharia laws. And if it's not proper, you're not allowed in school. So you can get an education basically without it. And these girls have to deal with that and have to see that every day. And um, of course they are fed up with it. And um, I mean, um, I, I totally understand them because I felt the same way when I was at their age too, except I was not as brave as they are. And, and honestly, I'm amazed by their bravery, by the way they stand in front of security forces and say, this is what I want, this is my choice, and I'm willing to die for it and and get rid of this regime. How is it being, is it just spontaneous? How is this all being organized? I realized that in that report, we were talking a bit about how groups have managed to sort of get around any uh, online crackdown that's happening, or at least a a social media crackdown. Mm -hmm. How is this, how is this happening in so many spots in the country all at once? Yeah. So, you know, there is something interesting about Iran. We have people in Iran have to deal with filtering every day. Like I can tell you, even the taxi drivers know how to use VPNs because the navigation app was filtered. So 
so they know how to use VPNs. And all the, you know, almost everybody in the country, I would say, definitely the new generation, definitely the middle generation, knows how to go around uh, filtering. Um, that being said, uh, Instagram and WhatsApp were not filtered in Iran until about three weeks ago, until basically this protest. So people were using them a lot, and and they were on social media media a lot. TikTok is popular, um, so they use social media to talk about this, even though they can't talk about this publicly. And I think a lot of the organization um, happens um, inside social media. And then you have this little spot, like, you know, you know, this things that happen in school, people are at the same place in the school and they're like, okay, today we don't want to go to class. We're just going to leave the school and go uh, to the pro- protest. Um, so I would say that was being a key point for these people to communicate with each other um, and at the same time, see what's happening on the other side of, you know, Iran, what's happening in Saqqas, what's happening in Baluchistan, in Ardabil, in other places. Now they can get, get to see the videos. Of, of what's happening in other cities, and that could be encouraging because you know you're not alone in this request, in this quest, yeah. basically. You must know this living in North America, that often when people use the term Iran here, we picture Iran, Iranians, and that's it. We don't just differentiate between all the different groups that live in this very large country. Yeah. And and I think we're seeing a lot, the, the protests have spread to Kurdish areas, you mentioned, of course, the border of Pakistan with Balochistan mm-hmm. um, and other areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has really been widespread with lots of different groups taking part. Yeah, actually, the protest started from Kurdistan because mm-hmm. Mahsa Amini was from Saqqaz, which is in Kurdistan. And the first day after the funeral, the people who came to the street are Kurdish people and they are brave people and their men support their women strongly. So they the first um I think one of the one of the chants you have heard a lot is is uh, is when is uh, woman uh, um, life liberty then then they get all the first version of this um, chant was actually in 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 Kurdish it was Jenjian Azadi which you know right. you still can hear it and that's how it got started and then it started from spread from Kurdistan to the rest of Iran over the hundred cities that were protesting. Uh, Eldaz, I, I guess the the question now is, what happens next? Uh, because we've seen protests, nothing like this quite in the in the past, and uh, they occasionally lose momentum. But where do you think this one is headed? It must the regime must be terrified of this one. Oh, they are. They are terrified, and you know it's hard to predict a revolution. But I know the Iranians are are decided to to take down this government, and they are going to do their hardest, the damn hardest they can to stop it. I mean, they already shut down Internet to um, stop the world from seeing the ugly images happening there. And 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 today, attacking a school is a desperate act. Um, so is, is, do you think there's a compromise here It's probably going to get worse before it gets better, yeah. but we're hoping that's going to get better. And I'm hoping that... Um, the, the Western countries, the European countries, do not help Islamic Republic survive. I know that they were trying to negotiate on, on getting um, a deal with U.S. and trying to get some of their assets unfrozen. But we are sure that if they receive any money, it's going to be used against Iranian people. So I'm hoping that that kind of negotiations and dealing with Iran will be on hold. Um, at the same time, we also know that uh, this is, I think, day three or four of the strike by the oil refinery workers. 
this could mm-hmm. also be another turning point for the um, for the revolution, um, and it could it could it could help the Iranian people um, to get where they want to go. Do you see there be? I guess there's. It's hard to negotiate if there's no. I mean, there's no leadership to the protests, really, right? There's no one for the regime to sit down with and talk to about what could be, uh, what demands could be met. Uh, we've seen this happen elsewhere. Um, but do you think there is any chance for compromise here? Any chance for um, the Iranian regime, specifically on 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 the Ayatollah side, to um, to loosen rules a little bit to at least acknowledge what happened uh, back in September to Masa Amini? Um, I don't think so. They did an investigation and said there was no wrongdoing on their side. And mm-hmm. and honestly, at this point, the demand on the streets are down from the downfall of the Islamic Republic itself. itself. Um, the chants are death to dictatorship, death to Khamenei, the supreme leader uh, himself. And, you know, and I want to, they, they have pushed up this narrative that this is the work of um, U.S., but one of the chants that I want to share with, with your listeners is that mm-hmm. people saying our enemy is here, and it's a lie that they say it's America. So people are very aware that as long as this regime is in place, they're not going to get what they want, because for 43 years, people have tried to reform the country in that sense. And now they're, they're dealing with somebody who has absolute power, um, over everything, and that absolute power had had brought corruption, had brought poverty, had brought mismanagement over uh, Iran's um, environmental um, resources, including water. Water. There are cities in Iran that have serious water problems. There is a lake in north uh, west of Iran, Lake Urumia, which is dried up, um, and there is oppression of ethnic and religious minorities. So. All of these needs to be fixed. It's not just like morality police only at this point or just some rules about hijab. Now all these issues are on the table. And I think this is why Iranian people are so fed up, fed up with this regime and they want it 100% gone. Yeah, which will no doubt be difficult considering how entrenched uh, the regime is. But but yeah, no, the, the playbook is the same, right? I mean, every time something rises up, it's the fault of outside influences. It's the fault of, I mean, we see the Russians do the same yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You know, it's always, it's Israel's fault. It's it's the, the Americans' fault. You know, what's interesting I find about this one, though, is the generational shift. It feels like there's mm-hmm. something happening in Iran, which is purely generational and that mm-hmm. it's going to be something very hard for this particular regime, especially on the religious side, for them to understand yeah. and quell because it's happening around them and they can't see and what's happening. And they're very happening. old. Like, have you looked at their pictures? They're all like 70, yeah. 80, 90-year-old men that are like, yeah. you know, so rigid in, in what they want. Um, so, but, yeah. Yeah. So, a last question. I, I have about a minute and a half left. Just for you, it must be hard to be both. Both. To, to, I guess you're working from where you are, trying to help out. Yes, and I have a 20 year old daughter, a 20 day old daughter. Sorry. Oh wow! <laughs> I have a yeah, 20 day old daughter, and she was she was born with the revolution. So, and 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 my, you know, I'm just trying to take care of her and like try my best to be the voice of Iranian people. Uh, I work with uh, with Masih Ali Nizad, Iranian journalist, who 
gets a lot of videos from inside Iran, and I, you know, I help her to put all these out in the world to to see what's happening really inside Iran and understand fully what is going on. Well, um, Elnaz, thank you so much. Congratulations on your daughter to you and your family. That's wonderful. Uh, I hope she gets to see a different Iran one day. Thank you so much. I, I hope so, and I think she will. Elna Sarbar, thank you so much. Have a great night. Thanks for having me. Good night.